welcome to another edition of the 1% Better Podcast with your host, Rob O'Donoghue. Hey folks, welcome back to the series on emotional intelligence and this is the second part of the focus deep dive into self-awareness and in part one we touched on what it is the difference between awareness, self-awareness, self-consciousness. Have a check of that if you haven't. But we're going to go straight into why self-awareness is important and what are some of the benefits. And again, as I've talked a lot about the content that Daniel Goldman puts together, I will keep that trend going and call out some of the stuff we put in uh, around self-awareness. So he says self-awareness is the key cornerstone to emotional intelligence and it's definitely the the foundation i've talked to a lot of experienced coaches and practitioners of uh, a lot of focus around emotional intelligence and they all tend to say self-awareness if you can get that right and work on that at the start you will uh, benefit greatly and it'll help you in the other areas of emotional intelligence so the ability to monitor our emotions and thoughts from moment to moment is key to understanding ourselves better being at peace with who we are and proactively managing our thoughts and emotions and behaviours. So these are the benefits, as I said, why it's important. In addition, self-aware people tend to act consciously rather than react passively and tend to be in good psychological health and have a positive outlook on life or more potentially more optimistic and we'll talk about optimism in the later episodes they have a greater depth of life experience and are more likely to be more compassionate and as i said earlier we will touch on compassion as a full episode at a later stage because it's very very much critical within the overall framework an investigation by sutton 2016 also examined the component parts of self-awareness and their benefits This study found that the self-reflection, insight and mindfulness aspects of self-awareness can lead to the benefits such as becoming more accepting as a person and while ruminating in mindfulness aspects can lead to emotional burdens. So a number of researchers have shown self-awareness as a critical trait for success in business and in a study undertaken by Green Peak Partners and Cornell University, and I will share links, 72 executives at public and private companies were studied. They all had revenues from 55 million to 5 billion, and it was found that a high self-awareness score was the strongest predictor for overall success. So I'll just say, strongest predictor for overall success. That's a pretty good indictment of developing the self-awareness skill set. More on the importance and some benefits. From another article, becoming more self-aware can help you proactively manage your thoughts, emotions, behaviors, rather than allowing them manage you. Self-awareness is the first step to goal setting. If you're self-aware enough to know your strengths and weaknesses, you'll know which goals you need to set and the strategies that will help you achieve them. Furthermore, this consciousness of your own actions and feelings will help you better understand others and you'll develop healthier relationships. Self-awareness won't fix all your problems, but it's certainly a big step forward and a big improvement. So let me run through some benefits here that have been called out that I've extracted from the research. The biggest benefit to being self-aware is that it allows us to better choose our own mindset and in turn put something positive despite negative external factors happening. Someone who is not self-aware encounters obstacles, sometimes the same ones repeatedly, and doesn't understand why. Maybe that whole doing the same thing over and over, expecting a different a result might mean you're not that self-aware. I'll continue. Someone who is considered self-aware examines themselves honestly to get to the root of their problem. A self-aware person examines their reality, maybe admits they ramble too much, don't listen enough, aren't exaggerating or being present enough. They're very aware of their flaws or weaknesses and are confident enough to articulate them or tell other people about them when in many instances those that aren't self-aware might be aware of some of these deficiencies but are certainly not in a good place to actually talk about them. I think that probably takes too much out of them and the ego potentially comes into play then as well. As it relates to external factors, 
Can we control how we react to those external factors? This is an important part of self-awareness. In order to control how we react to external circumstances, we need to know exactly how our internal states, preferences, resources and intuitions work. How do external circumstances affect our state of mind? Knowing that, tuning into that, allows us to react or act and react differently to the uh, different external factors. We can then decide whether or not something makes us sad, angry or agitated. We can take control of that rather than the external factors controlling how we feel. Yes, absolutely, it might not always be easy, but this is one of the biggest benefits of being self-aware, being able to control those external factors and how they impact you or not. Anticipating how certain events will influence your state of mind, a higher level of self-awareness enables us to predict how certain future situations will influence that state of mind. And again, are you thinking about something coming up tomorrow, next week, that is ruminating and pulling you in a negative place and you're playing that through over and over and over again without actually it happening? And that might just keep going around and around in circles. You're not maybe, you know what's happening, you're not that self-aware of it, you're not predicting in advance of how to maybe make that go in a different direction. You're spending too much energy on it. If that triggers anything, uh, maybe it's uh, an action you'll need to take. And we'll talk about actions lately. Uh, sorry, later. Not only just external factors, but understanding the people around us. So self-awareness allows us to better understand the emotions of the people around us. Think about it for a second. If we are not even aware of our own state of mind, how can we possibly grasp how people around us might react to certain events? With self-awareness comes better knowledge about certain types of people and how they might react to certain events. For example, think about a close friend or sibling or somebody in your close network. If you know how you would react to an external factor, then it's much easier to understand what goes on in the mind of this person. This way, you can help both yourself and your friend or sibling by stepping away from your irrational emotions. So undoubtedly, there's lots of benefits and it's very important to be self-aware. But why is it so hard to be self-aware? Think back to that statistic I shared at the start from Tasha Urich. What is it, 10% of us actually, 10 to 15 are actually self-aware, although 90% think we are. Let's talk a little bit about that. Why aren't we more self-aware? The most obvious answer is that most of the time we are simply not there to observe ourselves. In other words, we are not there to pay attention of what's going on in and around us. We're on autopilot and we're just coasting along and we don't take that time back to step back and see what is going on internally for us. And that's just the way it is. That's just the way we're conditioned, I think. And you have to work on trying to create that space, that gap to become more self-aware. Psychologist Matthew Kinglingsworth and Daniel T. Gilbert found that almost half of the time we operate in automatic pilot mode or unconscious of what we are doing or how we feel as our minds wander to somewhere else here and there. I remember a few years ago, around the time starting to meditate and uh, talking to people and just asking them the question, when is the last time they actually were aware of their breathing or that they took a breath and mostly more often than not I got a gasp to say wow I haven't actually thought about it or I haven't remembered the last time consciously I was aware I took a breath and that is kind of interesting to me it was at the time anyway. In addition to the constant wandering mind the various cognitive bias that also affects our ability to have an accurate understanding of ourselves come up. We tend to believe narratives that support our already existing sense of self. For example If we have a solid belief that we are a high quality and loyal friend, then we are likely to interpret events, even ones where perhaps we didn't make a mistake, or sorry, where we did make a mistake, as an anomaly to our identity as that loyal friend. The idea of confirmation bias comes into my mind there when you're pretty sure you're right and you're looking for the facts and information and and data to back that up, even though the situation mightn't be the right way uh, that you see it or the way you see it isn't naturally the right way. So you're really looking to confirm your your belief system and that happens a lot. I see that a lot in lots of uh, relationships and networks of people that I have been interacting with and it just 
it's common. This pre-existing belief about ourselves might influence how we ha- handle the aftermath of, say, forgetting a lunch date with a friend, uh, as just an example. And then just a little bit more about confirmation bias. This can trick us into searching for or interpreting information in a way that confirms our preconception of something. Have you ever had that feeling when you've accepted a job offer but are still looking for extra assurance that it's the perfect job fit for you? This is confirmation bias in its finest. Furthermore, the lack of the willingness to seek feedback could also work against us if we want to have a more holistic view through our eyes of others. Like, are you open to feedback? Can you take on stuff that doesn't align with your view of the world or how you see things that you're just not, you're not open to it? And that is that is blocking things out massively and you really should take that on board, let it settle and look at things from a different perspective. It's not easy by by any means and it'll challenge you and push you outside that comfort zone but that's how you're going to grow. If we want to cultivate our own self-awareness, how do we reconcile that with these psychological tendencies where we only acknowledge certain versions of ourselves? It is not easy but there are some options out there. And one example I'll just mention here, uh, Daniel Kahneman is the Nobel Prize winner, the book I mentioned earlier, Thinking Fast and Slow. And he has a TED Talk that uh, definitely is worth checking out. He's Nobel Prize for Behavioural Science Contributions. And in his TED Talk, he explains the difference between the experiencing self and the remembering self and how this affects our decision-making. He explains how we feel about the experience at that moment and how we remember the experience can be very different and only share about a 50% correlation. This Difference can have a significant impact on the story we are telling ourselves and the way we relate to self and others and ultimately the decisions we make, even though we may not notice the difference most of the time. There's a blindness going on there and if we don't work on it and don't become more more aware, uh, we just will keep slipping into that autopilot mode. So that is some of the reasons why it's difficult, but it's not impossible. To develop self-awareness, of course. Okay, next section. I thought it might be interesting to go into a few other concepts and just scratch the surface of these, obviously. But if you wanted to learn more, you have something to start yourself off with. The first one is called metacognition. And again, all related to self-awareness. Metacognition, this is a tool, I guess, that you can use. Engaging in metacognition enables you to develop a deeper understanding of what makes you different and special and what holds you back. For an analogy, think of wine. In addition to studying a wine's hue, aroma, taste, connoisseurs study its terroir. Now, my French pronunciation is definitely not good. Uh, And that means the extent to which the vineyard's environment of the grapes influences the wine. Metacognition is the quote is the tool we use to pull the best of our essence into our own expression of humanity. Like wine, your environment shapes your development. When you're an infant, your mind is a blank slate. What you see, hear, do, learn in your formative years molds your cognitive schemas, the policies and procedures that rule your thinking. Metacognition shows you what makes you unique by helping you understand the essence of me. It rests on three principles. Experiences create cognitive schemas. Your experiences are unique to you and no two people construct the same schema, even in identical experiences. And a a final quote on this, the power of understanding yourself is not a moment in time, but an elaborate process of spanning your entire life. That's just a little sample of what metacognition is about and definitely probably quite detailed and quite uh, involved there, but something maybe to to Google and see if you want to get more about that. The next, I suppose this is a term that I use a lot and it's uh, something that sticks with me and a lot of people get some use out of it, puts them a little bit more aware and it's around this term called the locus of control and it's really tying back to knowing yourself, tying back to being more self-aware. Your locus of control is either internal 
or external. An internal locus of control comes from believing that you control your life no matter what happens. People with an external locus of control believe that they're victims of life's events. They relinquish control over their lives. And no one can go through life unscathed for sure. So if you have an external locus of control, you might hear somebody talking about something bad that happened that the weather was terrible today. That's why I was late for work or my boss stuck it to me today because I didn't do this that, and the other. But he's he's only having a bad day and he just wanted to make me feel worse. They're blaming everything but themselves. They're not taking responsibility for it. And if even in its simplest form, terms, if you just listen to how somebody speaks and how they describe certain scenarios and events, you'll very quickly pick up on their either external or internal. Internal, absolutely. I fail my exams, but that's because I didn't study hard enough. I didn't put the effort in. I didn't really work what I should, but I'll do better next time. I take control. The boss gave me a hard time today because I certainly wasn't performing to my best capabilities and he was right. He could see this, that or the other that wasn't happening for me and I needed that kick up the backside as an example. Just some quotes around it. An external locus of control makes you a victim in life. An internal locus of control heals your life. We don't get to choose all that life will serve to us, but we can choose how we respond to that offering. To live a life of superficial awareness, self-awareness, and be quite content in doing so is literally being blissfully ignorant. And I think there's there's so much around locus of control, but at its very core, it's internal versus external and which which way do you see the world and you absolutely can change from external to internal and take more control and take action to do so and i think that will work well for you if you uh, are willing to take the effort and put the effort in and one last concept that i'll share with you it's uh, about self-awareness and how it depends very much on our physiology it's from a guy called alan watkins and if you Google vertical development, Alan Watkins, you'll get more on this. I'll just read a few paragraphs. Mastering your emotions takes time, practice and effort. It requires vertical development up a 10-stage ladder of consciousness. The first three stages, which are awareness of body, emotion and ideas, come automatically. At level four, you begin to define yourself by society's rules and norms. Many people stay at this level, though they experience levels of five, which features abstract thinking and contemplation of life outside rules and norms. Most people can't navigate this stage. They slip back to level four and obey the rules. The quest for meaning may return some years later. Some may face a crisis of disillusionment and numb their disappointment with alcohol or drugs. At this point, a few may abandon level four rules and reach level five, where they can mature further. Complex systems, this is a quote, cannot be understood simply by understanding each part of the system because the whole is always greater than the sum of the parts. And more and more over the last few years, as as I kind of dive deep more into this sort of work, this idea of a system um, becomes more and more apparent that we're all in our network as part of a system, in an organization you're part of a system, in in a team you're part of a a system and and you all work together and, you know, how you interact and how you connect with each other all has a massive impact on the overall system and performance. I'll get back to this script here. Not many people evolve to the sixth level of the ten levels where they can, where they have to complete ownership of their own feelings or take complete ownership of their feelings. Reaching this level can lead to exhilarating freedom. At level six, you become more integrated and authentic. To reach level seven, though, you transcend. Considered how the Dalai Lama or Nelson Mandela disregarded their own personal needs and disarmed others with generosity of spirit. It's a, like an enlightened space, I guess, from what he's, he's explaining it here. At level seven, you become all you aspire to be, compassionate, giving, empathetic and loving. At this level, leaders can transform teams and organizations. That That's obviously an aspirational level to get to. It's not easy and it's certainly one that you probably rarely see people uh, at a leadership level get to. But 
I guess that's why the, the, the handful of global leaders that might come to mind when, when I ask you about amazing leaders is because it's so difficult to get there. Another quote, commercial success is critically dependent on the ability to build good quality relationships with anyone, even if you don't like them. Mm, powerful. At level eight, you experience unity as you connect the forces larger than yourself together. At level nine, you no longer think about unity. You simply experience it. Okay, maybe this is more enlightened levels. And finally, at level 10, you are no longer defined by concepts of time. You transcend both. Uh, by concepts or time, you transcend both. You are evolving in a physical world, but also above it and beyond it. Wow. Okay, so that's the vertical development, the 10 levels. And I can see why from level 6 onwards it can get pretty difficult. But again... Self-awareness is at, at its core here, and to learn more about that, I probably would like to learn a little bit more myself. I've just read a little bit. Um, Alan Watkins is the gentleman. Okay, so we're going to go into the next section, which just talks a bit more about examples of self-awareness. So I probably touched on different kind of examples all the way through, but I'm going to go through a few now that hopefully by calling them out, talking them through, gives you something concrete to think of, how it could relate to your own examples and some context around it. So how about being stuck in traffic? Thankfully, I live in Cork and I don't have to be stuck in traffic too much, but I know when I was living in Dublin and anytime I travel to Dublin, as an example, I definitely struggle with the traffic. So this might sound really simple, but imagine being stuck in traffic after a long day at work. You might be listening to this, stuck in traffic after a long day at work. If you are not familiar with the concepts of self-awareness, you might feel bummed out about being in traffic. And that would be that. Not much else you could do. Your day would be negatively influenced by this traffic. And there it is. You become angry, agitated, and given out about the world, external locus of control perhaps. Now think about the same situation, but then add a sprinkle or a big dollop of self-awareness. Sure, you still don't like being in traffic. Being self-aware will not magically create an eternal smile on your face by any means, but it allows you to look further than just the direct effect of being stuck in traffic. When you are fully aware that being stuck in traffic is not something you enjoy, then you at least have an option to change the way you react to it. You can actually decide that being stuck in traffic will not bother you. You can decide to focus on the positive things that are still happening in your life. Instead of feeling bummed about being stuck in traffic, you can choose to remain happy by thinking about the things that make you happy. How does that sound? It's a choice, and it's one you can make in a conscious, self-aware fashion. How about number two here? Binge watching. So uh, this is probably ironic because I've hopefully released all the first set of these episodes in a, all in the same time, and I'm encouraging binge watching or listening in this instance. But um, here's the example anyway about self-aware. Some people can spend an entire day binge watching a series. I've done it myself many a time. I'm doing it at the moment with uh, Line of Duty. There you go. Binge watching can have a lot of fun side effects and a great way to pass the time on a rainy day, a rainy Sunday in this instance as it is pelting down outside. However, some people watch in a binge fashion uh, in order to escape from problems or to escape from their problems. Some people use binge watching as an escape from reality. You might not be able to do your homework, you are missing deadlines from work, or you're just avoiding a relationship, you're just locking yourself away from the world. This type of binge watching is obviously not healthy. Therefore, it's important to be able to recognize these scenarios when you are actually doing it. Are you doing it because it's something you enjoy and you're getting a lot of benefit or value from it and the series is great or are you binge watching to avoid something that is more real and has more potential impact in your your lifestyle and you know if it's friends you're watching for the 20th time is that a real good use of your time which is finite in life to a person that's not fully aware these two situations might look exactly the same 
But a person that is fully aware will recognize the bad scenario. If you're a self-aware of why you are doing it, then it's much easier to make the right decision. And that is to first take care of your real life responsibilities before pressing play on the first episode. And once you know that you've accomplished all your goals and you'll enjoy the binge watching so much more, because then it's pure entertainment instead of a form of procrastination. So it is procrastination in lots of ways. You're procrastinating doing lots of other things by doing this thing. The truth is we need to be able to balance short-term and long-term happiness and goals like this. Finding that balance is difficult, but self-awareness is one of the key aspects to become better at this. This is how self-awareness can help you learn to be happier in life. Okay, one more example. Feeling angry towards someone. Have a second to think about who are you feeling angry towards or have you felt angry towards. So this isn't my words, but I can relate to it. Being an introvert, I tend to bottle up my emotions when I feel hurt by others. I then keep those emotions deep inside until I can no longer hold them inside. This situation has occurred many times in my life and it wasn't pretty. At the time, I wasn't fully aware of what was happening in my mind. I could have tackled the situation very difficult, differently if I, if I was. I could have decided to focus on happiness instead. I let my mind slip and choose something worse. It might sound really simple. You feel like someone's hurt you and you feel pissed about that. You then hold on to that hurt feeling and turn it into something more nasty, anger, hatred, resentment whatever the word you want to use. That's pretty normal. It's a normal enough behavior. People do it all the time. But it is still important to be aware of what's happening. Someone that might not be aware of this anger and hatred might lash out and explode. That would over-amplify the negativity as emotions like these tend to increase in a heated situation. Have you been in a situation where this sort of scenario has played out? You stewed and let it, I think you can call it brooding on it. Uh, and bottled on it for a long time and then it came to a head knowing about these emotions and how the anger and hatred towards somebody else might grow will help you control them so much more so taking action early not letting it build up inside not letting it combust uh, is probably uh, definitely the best way to go if you were completely self-aware you will be able to stop and bring it back to yourself first. When you start to rationally question your own emotions, you are much better prepared to get rid of the negativity inside. Are you really angry at the other person or are you reacting to your own insecurities and fears? Why do you actually need to say hurtful things? Literally, what's in it for you? Do a what's in it for me check before saying those words, be it over text or in person. What value will come out of it? Play out the scenario. How do you think you'll feel afterwards? These are my words. And is it worth it? Will it be worth it? Will it matter in a day, in a week, or a month if you say these things or if you don't? If you don't, will it be something you'll be hanging on to and it'll build up? If you do, will it be something you'll regret for a long time? This can be extremely difficult. But you can really improve the quality of your own life by simply being aware of these emotions. And I think that's a really good example. Okay, to the final part, and the part probably that is most useful, but uh, the other parts are very uh, important as well. But this is the practical tools that you can use and and maybe ways that you can cultivate self-awareness. I'm going to read out a number of different ones from a few different sources, and I will start now. So number one is to create some space for yourself. And how often do you do that? When you are in a dark room without windows, it is fairly difficult to see things clearly. The space you create for yourself is that crack on the wall where you allow the light to come through. Leave yourself some time in the day and space every day, perhaps the first thing in the morning or half an hour before you sleep when you stay away from the digital distractions and spend some time with yourself reading, writing, meditating and connecting with yourself. So just think about that for a second. How often do you just give yourself 10, 15 minutes a day to to, to be is the, the best way to say it, not to be necessarily doing a whole lot. Yeah, you can read or you can write and that's giving yourself you time or me time. But it's, it's all about crafting that and, and making that time available. 
And sometimes the simplest way is get up that little bit earlier. I find certainly when I started to do a bit of meditation every morning, I the reasons I used to fall off the, the wagon was because I just didn't get up in time. And initially then I kind of gave myself an extra 15 minutes a day and then brought it back to an extra half hour a day getting up early. So you're not chasing your tail straight away and you've dedicated that time to it. So it's very important. Number two, practice mindfulness. And mindfulness is the key to self-awareness as defined or referenced by many self-awareness experts. There was one gentleman called John Kabat-Zinn. He defines mindfulness as paying attention in a particular way, on purpose, in the present moment, non-judgmentally. And through mindfulness practice, you will become more present with yourself so that you can just be there to observe what's going on inside and around you. And again, it's not about sitting in a lotus position or cancelling out your thoughts. It's about being aware of those thoughts coming in. If you're sitting there being aware of the the kind of madness that can come in and watching it pass by and not connecting to it, not latching onto it, not jumping onto the, the taxi journey that is coming through of madness and uh, just letting it go and try to not judge it. You can practice mindfulness anytime you want through your mindful listening mindful eating, mindful walking, and I'll put links to some of the episodes I did on mindfulness in the last few years. One with Hugh O'Donovan from Cork uh, around mindful walking is quite interesting. He has a book on that as well. And the mindful eating one, John Kabat-Zinn, that I mentioned here as well, talks about eating a raisin in a mindful way and just chewing it and tasting it and feeling the grooves on the raisin and, you know, just taking your time to do that. So, when you're eating your breakfast or lunch or dinner or whatever you eat, trying to pay attention to the actual eating rather than being in a different place while you're chewing it and munching it down in rapid time and you're just mindlessly doing it. So again, mindfulness has been around for a while and become very popular over the last few years and there's still probably questions on what is it really, but in a very simple way, it's just paying attention to whatever you're doing at that time and giving it your full attention in a in a very judgment, non-judgmental way. Number three is keeping a journal. So writing not only helps us process our thoughts, but also makes us feel connected and at peace with ourselves. Writing can also create more headspace as you let your thoughts flow out onto paper. And absolutely getting those things out of your head onto paper massive uh, massive difference when you do it. Research shows that writing down things when we are grateful for or even things we are struggling with helps increase happiness and satisfaction. You can also use the journal to record your inner state. Try this one at home. Choose a half day on a weekend. Pay close attention to your inner world. What are you feeling? What are you saying to yourself? And make a note of what you observe every say hour you'll be surprised with what you write down and you could do that every five minutes for an hour for example just to see what is the latest thought that comes in or what is making you feel whatever way you feel as I was talking through that I remember from reading one of the the, the books on habits last year this idea of when you're taking notes in a meeting or um if you're writing down notes from listening to a podcast or whatever, if you do that onto a digital Word document, uh, it's it's worse. It's not as in it's not as beneficial as you would if you were physically writing it down. It's creating a disfluency, is the word I think that uh, that I came up with or that had come up at the time from reading it, and it's just breaking that uh, process of physically writing rather than typing things down. But journaling, remember one of the first podcasts I did with Andrew Mangan back in the early 2017 or so, mentioned to him about journaling and he didn't know what it was. And I kind of suggested that his blogging, which he does a daily blog about Arsenal, about football, um, was in effect like a journal, that it was getting all the thoughts out of his head and onto paper. And I guess the more I think about it, the more I think it probably is and for, for anyone that's writing regularly or just getting their thoughts out, that it's a huge cleansing element or feeling towards that. So practice journaling, lots of uh, links out there in its simplest form. It's just dedicating time to write. Um, and there's another 
uh, practice called Morning Pages that you might check out that has been around for a while and it's worth, uh, worth a look. So number three, and remember all of these, sorry, number four, all of these are habits that you have to practice and as a result you become more and more self-aware. This one is around listening, practice being a good listener. Listening is not the same as hearing. Listening is about being present and paying attention to the other people's emotions, body movement and language. You can listen to their their words, but also you can listen to the noises they're making and just general body language. It's about showing empathy and understanding without constantly evaluating or judging. So how difficult is it when your friend is talking to you and you're listening and they say something and then you just jump in? Uh, how difficult is it to resist from doing that? You jump in and try and solve the problem or in a relationship you're trying to solve the problem. You're probably in the habit of doing that with work as well. One of the first things we've really tried to learn in coaching is to be better at listening, is to hold that silence with the, the coach or the client and not to jump in. Because a lot of the times when somebody is talking, if you let them keep talking and don't try and jump in and leave the silence and allow them to keep talking, they'll end up probably coming up with new ideas themselves. That's one of the one of the many coaching practices of being active at listening. There's another level of listening around empathetic listening where you're not only hearing and listening to the person and what they're saying, but you're feeling it as well. And I'll do a whole episode on listening at a later stage, but practice being a good listener. For two minutes, as, a, as this is a tool we use in an exercise in, in training, when I'm training a group of leaders or general uh, upcoming leaders, spend two minutes in a, in a pair, one person talking for two minutes, the other person just listening, not allowed to jump in at all, not allowed to make any grunts or agreements, and just give them that two minutes to talk. It's very difficult. You'll be surprised. And, and then just switch it over and uh, do it uh, the opposite way and see how you get on. But listening practice is a practice makes better. And definitely with listening, it'll be a huge advantage in your own self-awareness if you can be better at listening. Okay, another one. Gain different perspectives. So ask for feedback. Again, we'll do lots on feedback, but this is just one for developing your self-awareness because you're not only listening to yourself but you're listening to others sometimes we can be way too afraid to ask for help for feedback for what other thinks what others think of us sometimes the feedback may be biased or even dishonest but you're able to differentiate them from real and genuine balanced feedback as you learn more about yourself and others research has shown conducting 360 degree feedback in the workplace is a useful tool to improve managers and leaders' self-awareness. We all have blind spots, so it's helpful to gain a different perspective to see a fuller picture of ourselves. And again, I think I'll do a full episode on feedback and one of the upcoming episodes when we talk about assessing our level of emotional intelligence, our EQ, which is an interview with um, John Broderick around assessment tools. We talk about 360 feedbacks there. So if you're familiar with 360 feedbacks, if you've ever got one, you're, you're getting feedback from your manager, your peers, from people you've worked with, from just a, a good rounded view. And it's interesting to see if a lot of that tallies up and if there's a consistent feedback because that's good. And then that's where the blind spots come out. Um, so definitely feedback is, is a, an excellent way of developing your self-awareness because you're really seeing what others see of you what you typically don't. I mentioned Tasha Urich's work earlier and I've just taken a couple of um, paragraphs from uh, an article she wrote on how to become a self-aware or more self-aware so I said I'd read that out and as I said there'll be a full interview with Tasha coming up. So how can we become more self-aware? There are two aspects to address internal and external self-awareness. Urich says internal self-awareness is an inward understanding of your values, passions, aspirations, and external self-awareness is about understanding yourself from the outside in. That is knowing how other people see you. She writes in Insight, that's the book, surprisingly people who are externally self-aware don't necessarily intend to be internally self-aware, which is eye-opening in a way. Difficult to be both. Research has shown there is no relationship between the two. To improve external self-awareness, Yorick suggests finding a loving critic at work. 
going back to feedback again here, find somebody who wants you to be successful and will tell you the truth without any sugarcoating. So maybe this is where a mentor comes in. Don't try and ask all your colleagues for feedback. That can be overwhelming. Take one colleague out to lunch, letting him or know him or her know in advance what you're looking for. And to drive the conversation, Yurik suggests asking, asking, what's the thing you see me doing that's helping me best contribute to the team or organization? And then second one, what's the thing I do that's distracting from our success? Interesting stuff. And again, it's feedback and listening. Those two that um, are the superpowers if you want to develop self-awareness, it would seem it's cropping up in most of the research. Um, and again, it's quite simple. We've listened all our lives, but really focusing in on that and then the feedback piece. Definitely in my career, in, in, in managing and coaching people, feedback can be tricky. Some are point blank, don't want it, and others really, really want it, but then may not do anything with it. So it's, it's really trying to find the balance of taking it on board and working with them to put an action plan together of what comes out and what then they can work on to become better in whatever specific area. Um, and that shows the commitment. But everything here takes time. Everything is all about developing a practice and a habit and taking action. So if you were to use the feedback as an example, you come up with three or four pieces of feedback that are consistent that may be difficult for the person to take on board, but they agree that there are potential blind spots. Then you're looking at what are the steps they can take to improve that. And if you're sitting at home listening to this and you're picking out, you've got your feedback and you're picking one or two things to work on, then it's what can you do in the next 15 to 30 days to kind of make an improvement on that and then in 30 days time measure it. Or maybe you get your buddy or whatever mentor you have or even a coach to hold you to account for those 30 days and then check back in with you because that's where the real change happens when there's an accountability element and it happens over a period of, of weeks and months rather than just a click of a fingers and, and overnight. That definitely doesn't work. And that's one of the biggest things I suppose I have to get across when I'm coaching people is change typically takes time. And for this to embed and ingrain, it takes effort as well. Here's a few more bullets that I said I'd share. So about self-awareness, uh, a few other tips on how to become more self-aware. Find what triggers you to be self-conscious. Once you've identified exactly why you feel self-conscious, start challenging those thoughts. Self-consciousness often stems from feeling unworthy and insecure and constantly worrying what other people think about you. So what are those triggers? As you kind of sit back and see, I've become self-conscious, something's happened. Think about it for a few minutes. What was the one thing that somebody said or you read to make you feel that way? Maybe something you saw online. There's definitely something. It's about just probing into it and trying to find it and being honest with yourself. Realize that as much as you believe that everyone is focusing their attention on you, they're all more preoccupied with their own lives, hardly noticing or thinking about you. And this one is very apt, I think, very, uh, very true. And it comes up a lot for me as well when I'm ruminating or worrying about something that I'm concerned how this person will take it or what they're thinking of me or you know maybe would have done a lot more of that in the past the truth is are you sitting in a room looking at somebody judging them all the time and passing dispersions on them chances are you're not and you're just too caught up in your own stuff and most people are like that as well so it's kind of being aware of that knowing that and know that they're not spending overt amounts of time thinking about you and what you're doing so you know Give yourself a break there. Learn how to be more confident. Visualization is very important here. Visualize yourself in a situation where you where you feel confident and loved and not worried about what the world might say about you. Just try and enjoy the moment. And visualization gives you that kind of view of what things can look like if you want them to go that direction. And by doing it, you're creating a story, a narrative, and then maybe when the actual real scenario arises you're more prepared and that definitely works well just some other tools and examples i guess that that i can share one one in particular is called a whole life grid and i might have mentioned this one before or definitely did a one minute monday on it so i can put a link to it but it's a, a nine box grid that i took from the book feel the fair and do it anywhere uh, with uh, susan jeffers one of the first self-help books i read and it's really about 
taking a step back, looking at the nine boxes and, and putting your whole life in each of the boxes. So if you were to break up your life into nine boxes, what, what part would each fill? And would you be able to fill all nine? So if I said family and work and exercise and self-care and reading and sleep, and are you able to put the nine in? When I've done this exercise with groups in the past, people struggle to get beyond four or five. And it is a real eye-opener for them to say, well, I don't really have a very balanced life. What I try to do with my nine box is put nine things in there and touch them all uh, over the course of a day or a week, more likely a week, and spend a, a decent amount of time in each one. And it really gives a better balance to your overall life. And I've yet to find somebody that thinks this does, doesn't work if they apply it. And as I said, the uh, the eye-opening part is it's very rarely anyone can get all nine very well balanced from the start. It's a real good self-awareness tool to just open your eyes up to see where things are at and hopefully then where you can bring them. Okay, I'll finish up with just two more and there'll be more very easily found online and if you just want to look for developing self-awareness. But these are ones I use myself and, and think work. There's this one called Draw a Timeline of Your Life. One of the most eye-opening tricks that you can do uh, with as a coach or, or just in your own development is to draw a timeline of your life. So if you were to, if I was to ask you to spend 20 minutes drawing a timeline of your life at some point between now and the next time we talk, as an example, sit down with a blank piece of paper and a pencil and start with their birth, mark major events along the timeline up to now. Specifically find and pick events that had a big impact on them, even if they were big or small or positive or negative, but but document them, write them down. Typically what happens is people will come back and say similar versions of, of, of this, that that sounded like a crazy stupid exercise, but I was shocked at how much I realized about myself. Many people come back get it with a new sense of perspective on a specially distressing or difficult time. Seeing it in that specific context just stands out for them. I've recently done this with uh, myself in a kind of a, a PowerPoint presentation that I've done. I did the timeline and then kind of put together a, a story, a journey of lessons I've learned in my career and the decisions I made that brought me in different directions and, and other things that came in to my life that made things go in, in one way or another. And it is a very eye-opening exercise and gives you time to self-reflect on why this happened and should you have done something differently or what would you do this time around. Another kind of addition to this exercise that you could do with somebody is you could walk your timeline, uh, which is a, another coaching tool, but it's it's looking forward as well. It's um, talking to somebody where they actively listen to you for a period of time, but you're just talking about what you're going to do in the next six months, one year or beyond and it's a 15 minute walk and you just talk it out and it gives you that kind of perspective of being aware of some of the things you want to do, set yourself targets and goals that you can work towards and uh, again it's very powerful Um, but again I'm not going to go too much more into that one. Maybe try draw your timeline of your life and see what comes up. And the final one is all about clarifying your own core values or what is very valuable or important to you. I will put a link in this. I created a a seven-step process uh, that is loose, but you can use it. And I have a podcast version of it um, recorded as well. And it's how to define your core values and to make them stick. And and it's really about getting to know yourself. And that is a huge part of being self-aware. So what are the most important things in your life? Why are they important? And once you've identified those and, and understand why... You should then be able to use them to make decisions going forward, be it the decisions about work or your family life or whatever it is. You can bounce your decisions off those set of values and it can give you greater clarity and help you make those decisions uh, as you go along life. It is very, very uh, important and useful. And most will say that their values don't change that much. You can have new values or some become more important than others over time. But having them documented, having them clear for yourself and being able to tell somebody what your five or six core values are is very important. And I stress five or six because through the exercise, through the process, you will uh, you'll work those down into a smaller subset and and get more honed in on the ones that are most important. All right. 
I can't believe that uh, I spent 50 minutes talking on this one and the other one was probably 30. So you've got a lot of stuff hopefully going on in your head after listening to me uh, for for this period of time about self-awareness. I hope it's useful. Lots of ideas, things that you can take away. What one thing will you try? I guess if you took one thing out of this session, one thing out of this podcast so far, what is it and what one will you commit to making an effort on, be it on your own or maybe reach out to somebody and and work with them on it. I guarantee you there's value to be gained from it. But again, it just takes a bit of effort. Over time, you'll see the benefits, trust me, on it. In the show notes, I'll put in some of the links to the different articles I referenced and some of the names of the books I talked about and TED Talks as well. The next episode will be all about emotional intelligence assessments, getting a good baseline of where you're at emotionally from an EQ perspective using different reports and it's an interview with an expert in the field of emotional intelligence assessments or what we're calling in the in the actual interview emotional capital reports which I use regularly for getting that baseline so there you go that'll be out uh, probably now as well as I released a bunch of these at the same time but if not it'll come very soon thanks for listening Please do get in touch if you've taken something from this or have any questions. We can go into more detail in any of these areas and I would always appreciate hearing from you. I will listen. It's part of what I try to do. Okay, thanks. Good luck. Hey folks, thanks so much for listening to the show. If you enjoyed it, could you please consider helping me extend the reach of the podcast that a little bit further? You can do that in a number of ways. The number one way is to subscribe on your app of choice. This helps me with the chart ranking, leading to more folks stumbling across the podcast and checking it out. You could also repost it on your social media channels. Any of them would be great. And maybe even tell a friend in person or over the phone. Pick up the phone, give them a call and tell them about the 1% Better podcast. Tell them about this episode or one that you've heard in the past and it will do. I would really appreciate it. In the last year, we set up a 1% Better Slack community, which you can join for free and interact with me and other members of the community and improve through holding each other accountable and sharing monthly challenges. It's a lot of fun. Check it out. I'm into season four of this incredible journey and the more of these interviews and solo shows that I research, record and share, the better I believe that they get and more loaded with actionable takeaways that you can learn from. I know I've learned so much from it so far and it's always really, really fulfilling and rewarding when I hear from you on what you took from it. So do reach out, rob at robofthegreen.ie. And of everybody that listens, 90% listen and enjoy, but only around 10% actually take action, write down takeaways and put them into practice. I am convinced that if we can move that number a bit higher, the listeners will not only make steps forward towards their goals, but they will be more fulfilled and happy and better. Change doesn't happen overnight. It is hard, but it's all about taking the first step, whatever that is for you. You can absolutely do this. Make a plan, be deliberate, take action. Don't overreach. Start with those small incremental improvements and over time you will see great progress. It's all in the pursuit of betterness. So again, thank you so much for listening. Good luck and stay safe.